Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mookie Gunnar-Harrington, joined from the lovely state of New York on this fine day, June 10th, 2018. You'll probably hear this on June 11th. Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great, Mookie. I've uh, just wrestled in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm ready to talk about the CM Punk, Dr. Chris Amon trial. Pokemon also involved. Yes. We're going to do a little Punk special here on the free show, on the the premium show. We're going to have talks about the For Your Consideration Emmy program. Probably a lot of New Japan things with Dominion and, and Mr. Harold May and his video yes. package. Uh, the UK WWE steady prognosis uh, and uh, just anything else. Probably a lot about this new uh, trademark coming out. WWE VIP. Yes. And uh, some other exclusive scoop, mark. right? We we may have the name for the, the tier W network. Exclusive scoop. Right. Exclusive scoop, right? Well, you know, it, it's nothing's exclusive once it goes on the uh, interweb. Mm. But uh, you and I spent all of last show talking all about Punk, Amon, yeah, and uh, Cabana, and I already screwed it up. It's Amen, 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 Amen. That's Amen. probably the biggest uh, note here is that uh, Amen. Apparently, it is pronounced Amen, not Amon. And no. uh, I have received a secondary confirmation that Christopher Amon and Scott. Amon, or Christopher Amon. Amon. Scott Amon. But however it's pronounced, they're not related to each other. The uh, lawyer for WWE and the doctor for do they, WWE. Do they both pronounce it Amon, though? You know what? Maybe you can get WWE uh, uh, PR to respond to you about that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get in touch with them and reach out. So I, I don't know if there's been many days where, or many weeks where guys had as much of a roller coaster as CM Punk when you really think about it. Yeah. Going to a lawsuit of this magnitude, you know, with the the enormous ask for damages and then having to 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 sit through the trial and then go and fight in UFC, you know, the biggest MMA company in the world. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure there's a case where like the week of WrestleMania or something somebody had some kind of legal snafu or something unusual, but this is pretty high profile, I would say. Yeah, if you, if you can think of it but actually tweet us. Um, but so how much money were they actually looking for? This, this, this seems to be confused. And, and, and basically all the news that we've had while the trial was going on were, were, were from notes 
just from people listening to the trial, right? So yeah, so we had we there's three people who got very involved in covering the trial. Um, Greg Pratt, who is a uh, Gregory Pratt, who's a Chicago Tribune reporter mm-hmm. who has done a few pieces on wrestling in the past, but uh, is a let's say legitimate media reporter. Uh, who covers City Hall and is had other business actually in the courthouse and was one of the reasons that he stopped by the courtroom. He knew it was happening, but uh, uh, he showed up on the end of day one and said he was the only one really there. And then we had two people from WrestleZone. Um, what are their names? Ross Berman? Nick Hausman. Right? And uh, was it Ross Berman? And or I think Bergman might be um, Bergman. Yeah. And they did a great job of and just writing S- down what was Steve happening. Steve Muehlhausen from Fightful was there too. Did you know? And who was Steve Muehlhausen? Muehlhausen. Okay. And I assumed as much because after the verdict, there was some videos of both CM Punk and uh, Colt Cabana talking to Fightful. And so I, I had to think, Hey, there's gotta be some other, um, other people that might have shown up for the verdict. So you're right. There, there was at least someone from Fightful as well. But uh, mm-hmm. I think even the lawyers were a little surprised that there was less of a media circus than they expected, just because this was a long time coming. Um, I think many of us had made it pretty clear that this was happening and, you know, that we were saying we were pretty sure it was happening, that there was, you know, very public scheduling, that there was no reason that it was going to be a closed session that CM Punk was, you know, not only fighting in UFC, not only in his hometown, not only in the hometown of Chicago, um, Colt Cabana in his hometown of Chicago, and that this case was happening there. And yet almost, you know, there wasn't ESPN there to cover a guy who's in a UFC fight, who's in a major legal lawsuit. You know, to me, it seems like a big miss on the part of a lot of media organizations personally. Yeah, I'm curious why maybe some MMA outlets didn't go down early and cover it. Well, I think there's a lot of resentment over Punk as an MMA fighter. Is yeah. I don't think a lot of them took him seriously or take him seriously. Um, if I you're would an think, MMA site you know, that's concerned with web traffic, I mean that's that's yeah, the story exactly. that would get you web traffic. <laughs> you know, and that was that was something I always wondered about. Where I was just like, wow. Well, you know, wrestling media has a disproportionate um, resoundment on the internet, and CM Punk is the is one of the kings of that. He is one of those people that when you tweet something about CM Punk, you will hear from people mm-hmm. um, almost instantly. And like y- even years out from the last time he's wrestled, you still see people every week wondering about his punk coming back. When is punk coming back? You know, what, what does punk think of this? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's pretty incredible actually, you know, that he's garnered such interest and such, um, you know, uh, uh, enormous attention and, and feelings from his uh, emotion from his fans. And it's even possible that there was other people who started to show up to this trial who just weren't tweeting about it very publicly. Cause again, you had to take, I think handwritten notes and then go out and tweet. I don't think you could have your phones in the courtroom doing things. Hmm. So, you know, obviously uh, for some people that, that they might've had to use cursive, which uh, that would be a, uh, you know, that's a deal breaker for most people. Cursive is tough, you know? cursive is tough but uh no there's a lot of interesting things um of course the the trial verdict came through if you did not hear of uh, the verdict in the end um both uh punk and cabana mr brooks and mr colton were found uh not guilty or not liable i guess and how much money were they really going for here i heard four million i heard eight million uh, so um cabana there was did his a own clear, podcast there was a tweet yeah. by CM Punk's lawyer, okay. uh, a woman named, I believe her name's Laura McNulty. 
Uh, and she said that it was actually that they wanted for each count. So there's one count of defamation and there was one count of invasion of privacy. So the 3.9 million number, which again was $1 per um, verified stream of the podcast mm-hmm. for damages would have been about $4 million for defamation. And then an additional count of $4 million for invasion of privacy. So my guess is the jury had the right to basically decide, okay, was punk guilty of defamation? Yes or no. Was punk guilty of privacy invasion of privacy? Yes or no. So he, it, it wasn't necessarily that it was all, all or nothing, but um, those were the two pieces. Plus it was punitive damages. And I think somebody said uh, sometimes punitive damages can be almost 10 X. What are punitive uh, damages uh, for for uh, non legal experts out there? No, there was no no damages whatsoever. So in the well, end, what what are this pun- end- what are punitive damages? What does that mean? Well, I think it's just that um, damages outside of <laughs> you're you're putting me on the spot here with what is the legal terminology around damages exceeding damage. simple compensation and awarded to punish the defendant. Yes, there we go. Look at that. Punish so. Um, him. Yeah, so so basically they were looking at anywhere between four and eight million dollars. Um, and then my understanding is it's possible that that was true for Punk and maybe Cabana's was in a smaller subset of that, that maybe the defamation had been dropped and it was just invasion of privacy for him. So, it, again, millions and millions of dollars. Um, certainly, I, I think it would be fair to say, certainly something that doesn't seem like Scott Colton has. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, certainly something that would certainly uh, probably empty the bank accounts of, of CM Punk. You know, I'm, I'm sure he has made millions of dollars in his career and spent a lot of money as well. But I doubt he he could take a hit like that and not be in a, a precarious position. Yeah. Um, In the end, they said no damages. You're not guilty. This trial is over. Um, Amon... Eamon, Eamon, Eamon. It's hard to even get this straight. I heard the judge was even screwing it up throughout the trial. Eamon um, doesn't really have grounds to appeal that are clear, at least, and will probably not appeal. And on the flip side, I don't think that there's any um, action that's likely to happen from either Colton or Brooks on trying to recoup lawyers' fees. This is not a state where you can really do that just because the suit was brought. Um, the fact it went to trial speaks to that the judge at least found that there was enough of a case to have that case. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a frivolous suit, let's say. Ariel Hawani uh, had an interview with, with CM Punk, and he, he asked him, uh, are you going to get any of that money back? He's referring to the legal fees, and Punk says, no, I would have to sue them again. And he says something like, it's not really my style as far as whether he was going to do that or not. So it doesn't yeah. sound like he's going to pursue that. No, and, and and again, I don't even think the, – the legal experts I spoke to didn't really feel that it would be a great case unless you could really show that there was, you know, something that was was egregious about the way this was happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as unfair as it seems, I will go back to the fact that people pointed the finger at Christopher Amon right after the podcast dropped. So it's not unreasonable to say that Christopher Amon did feel he was – you know, belittled by this podcast. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's a unreasonable, you know, it wasn't like it was a crazy person who just out of the blue said, no, they're secretly talking about me. Right. Yeah. And you know, he, this was his someone name, who, whose name is even used on the podcast. Yeah. Which is, which is contrary to something I said last week where I said he, he wasn't mentioned at all. He was mentioned twice. 
Yeah, I, it, it was in a different context, but yes, it was. He's mentioned on there, so it, it's not silly. Um, he's to mentioned twice, that, like in the same sentence. But yeah, he's 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 mentioned yeah. in there. Yes. Um, the, I did get clarification that there was a ruling that um, Eamon was neither a limited purpose figure or a public figure, mm-hmm. um, which was important because that if he had been found to be that, it would again raise the standard that creates this idea of actual malice having to be introduced as part of a defamation suit that's not a part of it in this case so it was a little bit lower of a bar for Eamon basically that he was he could be considered kind of a private person um but when they asked for the four million dollars for defamation the four million dollars for invasion of privacy plus punitive damages I think that was an overreach and um it was something interesting because when I when it happened I, I said to my wife you know they they asked for four million dollars today and she's like I can't believe that that's absurd and I said, well, maybe they're just going to settle 10 cents on the dollar. You know, like, you know, if you ask for $4 million and then they give you 400000 Maybe they're highballing. They're still happy. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Maybe they're highballing. Yes. So, and someone said, well, you know, there's even this idea that they you do anchoring where you, your idea is you want to put a high number in the mind of the jury so that they don't come back with, you know, some some lowball number and think that that's close to what what's supposed to happen. Um, however... When you, depending on your jury, if you overreach, you can get exactly the opposite result, right? So if these are middle class people, these are everyday people, and you go out there and you say, Hey, this guy got defamed on a podcast. Um, and we can't show any damages in terms of he's still working at the same place. He still has the same job. He, uh, you know, just had a bunch of mean tweets, you know, the, the Mike literacies of the world are unhappy with him. And he's anxious about this, that he feels yeah. his privacy was violated. It ruined his Thanksgiving. And it ruined his Thanksgiving with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want $4 million. And it sounded like, you know, that was that was ridiculous in the minds of some of these jurors, that they basically thought, you know, I think there was a debate in the early part of the trial about whether or not he wanted, quote, significant damages. And he said no. And the lawyer kind of pushed him and said, well, is it seven figures? And he said Yes. And it's kind of the idea of saying, well, to most of us, wouldn't you say seven figures is significant? Yeah, to me, a million dollars is a significant amount of money, yes. Yeah. So I think that that it was one of those situations where if Eamon's lawyer had come in at a much lower number, they might have had a little bit better of a case, but I'm sure that turned them off in some way. And again, the case is the case. We know what the jury heard. We know what the jury saw but we don't know exactly what's going on in the minds of the jury and you can't replay it and say well what if i had done this or what if i had done that and know it's going to be different mm-hmm. but i think that that in this case they way overreached and this wasn't a business suit where that's like well can coca-cola play pay eight million dollars yeah coca-cola can this is one private individual another private individual and a third private individual yeah. cabana so, said I think on his that, podcast when after the verdict was read and uh, they, they went and shook hands with the jury. Uh, he said, at least some of them said to him, I can't believe that you were included in this. Yeah, the impression that I've gotten from people who, who were close to this trial was that the jury most likely did not see Cabana as being relevant to the case. Yeah. Because all the statements, all the driving factor of the case was 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 Mr. Brooks, CM Punk, mm-hmm. talking about his feelings and and Cabana, you know, he he asserted what they call it, like neutral reporter privilege, and I think that's accurate. That essentially he was there to document what was happening, talk to his friend, 
say that he knew his friend well enough to say, yeah, I believe his feelings are honest and true and he's not coming at this from a place of of trying to lie. Mm -hmm. And it's accurate as far as I know. And that was enough. You know, it, it, it basically says that you have to make sure that you're not willfully putting out, you know, things that you know are wrong. But it doesn't say you have to do an enormous, like, you know, exhaustive research. Colt would have to have reason to believe that Punk was lying, is my understanding, right? Essentially. And, and I think part of it, too, is the fact that he's known him for a long time. You know, you could say that that helps with the ability to say, well, this is why he's my friend and I would trust him. Mm -hmm. you know versus like just some random person that you've never met before and you don't really know if it's true or not mm -hmm. um i did hear that you know cabana's lawyer was a family friend um mm -hmm. i think this might have actually been his very last case it was like uh, he yeah. was re retiring yeah and and so he kind of wanted to go out on top you know sort of thing um it, it's interesting to kind of think about why was there a lawyer for for Colt cabana and a lawyer for punk but if you really get down to it, their interests are not completely aligned, right? Because mm -hmm. Colt Cabana, as we said here, he it didn't make a lot of sense for him to be part of this lawsuit. And so in some way, some of his defense has to be, I'm not the guy you need to go after. And that's and and if you have the same lawyer representing both Brooks and Colton, that's hard to make that defense, right? They're not completely aligned. Mm -hmm. And so it does make sense for him to have his own private counsel. And so it, it, it's good that he did. And the same thing when you think about settlement. Like, I am positive there was settlement talks for this. There's no case like this that goes two plus years without there being some settlement talks. And I think if you look at CM Punk and you think of the profile of person he is, what would be an adjective you might apply to that? Uh, stubborn, uh, strong-willed. Um... We're talking adjectives uh, to apply to mm -hmm, CM Punk. Mm -hmm. um, and those were the ones I was thinking of, is stubborn and strong-willed. And so I don't think CM Punk was the sort of guy who was willing to settle, especially if it meant he had to write a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Right? He he was not a guy. And I think, too, think about the fact that they came in with a $4 million per count request. That goes to show you probably the level of difference between what was going to be settled and what was going to be litigated. Yeah, and because right, and I think uh, Punk believes that WWE was behind Eamon's, uh legal 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 team or legal expenses here. Uh, he says in, in the interview with Helwani, "I do think it was intentionally done just to bleed me of money." So I don't I don't think he's saying there that Amon was trying to bleed him of money so much as WWE. And or Amon. Yeah, and I think there's two pieces there. One is Cabana might have been willing. There we go. Cabana might have been willing to settle, but I doubt he would have been willing to settle for a large figure. Like yeah. I'm sure Cabana, to make it go away, would have paid a small amount of money and just said it's done. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it was a few thousand dollars, he certainly spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this trial. Mm -hmm. So you know you could think if it would have saved you two and a half years of your life you could easily see someone paying some money, but it sounds like that probably was not close to the number that they were willing to do to get him out of that suit. Mm -hmm. And Brooks was most likely not going to, because obviously, like you said, they were probably going for big money and it, they, the numbers they were probably coming in with were ridiculously high compared to the numbers that would, were reasonable for lawyers to try to convince their clients to settle for. Mm -hmm. So was WWE behind the case? My assumption is 
WWE got sued as part of the subpoena process here, basically to enforce the subpoena to get the records from them in Connecticut for a suit that was happening in Illinois. They had to sue them in Connecticut court. Who sued who? And they who? did that. Who sued who? Yes. So I think it was, it was um, Punk suing to get the enforcement of the subpoena that had been issued in Illinois. So we could say Punk sued WWE. Essentially, yes. Yeah. And they they went through all of that, and I'm sure things came out in that process, but it did not come up in the trial. And my guess is it's possible that uh, – if I were to speculate, I would speculate that it's possible that the judge just said it's not germane to the trial. It's not It's not something that you can introduce one way or the other of whether or not WWE is secretly funding him. Mm-hmm. And that – because for them never to raise it in the trial seems unusual, which would either suggest, one, it's not true and they have definitive proof of it, or two, that the judge just basically said you can't introduce that sort of evidence. Why? I don't know why? if that's true or not, but that's what it would seem like to me. Yeah, why would you not be allowed to introduce that sort of evidence? It's just, you're saying – It, 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 it could it, be considered prejudiciary. It could be considered just not relevant. Like, is it relevant that WWE is, is, is behind Amon? Does that change the fact that Amon was was defamed? No. Would it make a difference if he has a million dollars or ten million dollars or one dollar in his bank account? Yeah. No, but I guess it would give would it would give Punk side a, a place to argue that look this is this is frivolous or this is you know there there really isn't a case here and this is really just being backed up by my former employer who I had a bad falling out with. And, yeah. But it sounds like the judge was basically saying no, I think there's a case here and you can't use that defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know, but it, yeah. the the fact that it never came up, but the fact that, you know, Punk went as far as actually giving a video interview where he said, they're trying to sue me. Mm-hmm. The other piece of it is, is, is wrestlers are a conspiratorial bunch. You know, they, they believe in rumors and, and, you know, how many times do you still hear that Bret Hart was secretly sent to WCW to tank it? You know, they, they, they believe in convoluted schemes. Yeah. And so well, they do even, see- even Meltzer seems to believe that this was that WWE money was behind this. Yes. And so the fact that it's been said so many times by people, and I, and I would even guess that punk probably got admonished for saying that in such a public way, because that's a very strong thing to say, and that could get you in trouble. Um, But my guess is essentially it was not considered a make or break point for whether or not he defamed Christopher Amon. Mm -hmm. And the judge did not want to make the trial about that. And in the end, it didn't make a difference. Um, I, I think you're right. That's why Eamon probably stuck with it. We don't know the structure of Eamon's lawyer. You know, he it could have been a contingency the whole time where it was just he only got paid if he got money. It could have been WWE was funding the whole thing. It could have been WWE was just silently encouraging him. We don't really know. I so mean, WWE it, did put out that video uh, at the time of here's here's a minute's worth of footage of CM Punk's butt where you can't see any yeah. – uh, it, it seems, it, it seems, especially the tone they took with the Connecticut lawsuit and other things, it seems that WWE was actively involved in trying to make this as difficult as possible for, for Mr. Brooks mm-hmm. and was indifferent to the difficulty it caused Scott Colton. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, at the same time, you know, you will hear from like I just saw a tweet today from a wrestler and they were like, I heard that I was was politicked out from joining the big Fed. And, you know, they went on and on. And there's always going to be a degree of that where, yes, people are going to talk about you behind your back. People are going to badmouth you. 
but ultimately the company does what the company wants to do. And if someone, you know, someone will always be able to point to somebody else and say, this person doesn't like you or this person is, is the reason that you're having problems. But I, I rarely believe that that is the single reason that you do get hired or you don't get hired. Right. Yeah. I mean, who, who you're friends with has a, a lot to do with why you get the opportunities that you do. But, uh, Sometimes it's the main factor. Sometimes it's a smaller factor. Sure. And it's a good, it's a nice scapegoat when people don't, things don't go the way they want. That's right. That's the excuse that I always use for why uh, I'm not main eventing WrestleMania is just because I don't have the right friends. Yeah. But, and I don't mean to say that it's not true that some people have been, you know, buried behind their back and it stopped them from getting ahead. But it's just, it's, it's such a, a snitchy industry at times that it's very hard to know what is being done in a professional sense and what is being done in a personal sense and what is just being done as a coincidence. So, you know, see, um, there was a lot going on there with, um, uh, the CM Punk fight and then all the stuff that was going on with Corey Graves, you know, Corey Graves was tweeting up a storm this last, uh, 24 hours here, right? He was. And he was talking all about, you know, what's happening with, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of animosity towards CM Punk, kind of as someone that he th- said was, you know, this guy used to be my friend yeah. and he kind of turned on me and it just seemed as, like he turned on me because I worked for WWE when the trial was going on yeah. or actually when the lawsuit are, uh, was going on. These are tweets that, were, that he put out just as uh, just as CM Punk lost his fight uh, against Mike Jackson. Uh, do you want to talk about the fight real quick itself? I guess I have some thoughts on it. You, you, did, you saw highlights of it, right? I saw some highlights of it. I guess before we do that, I'll just say um, the CM Punk thing, the uh, the firm that they were using. I think it's the same firm that they used to for CM Punk to get rid of his um uh, his contract with WWE originally, mm-hmm. and the one that AJ Styles, oh, AJ Styles, AJ Mendez, uh, April Mendez, mm-hmm. um, AJ Lee used to get out of her contract as well. You think that, uh, or I you was, know that? I think you know that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it is the same like people that got involved mm-hmm. at one point is, is what I was, I, I, I was kind of asking around and that trying to figure out, you know, why was it this firm or whatever? And, and it seemed like that was the connection kind of between the punk is that they've been dealing with WWE this whole time, possibly both on a, you know, defamation is very different than contract. So I don't know if it's the same team of lawyers. I doubt it is, but just kind of the idea that he probably has been using the same legal support this whole time. Uh, to kind of get out of his contract and do other things. So that also sometimes can, you know, bring the baggage of dealing with those same lawyers over time. Mm-hmm. But so this fight, uh, yeah, this fight. So CM Punk then wins his trial, uh, gives some really nice interviews in the courtroom. I thought he was very gracious and nice and polite. Yeah, both, and honest. both Colt and uh, and Punk gave like uh, cell phone video interviews to WrestleZone and to Fightful. Yeah, and I, I thought that him. way. I thought they came off very real. You know, I didn't feel like he 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 was being rude or dismissive or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know he has this big fight coming up, and he he came in with a he kept saying he was a positive attitude that it was tough. He had to train before and after each day, and and he was getting ready to do it. And so he went into this fight with Mike Jackson, and it was on the opening of the UFC pay per view. Yep. And so he, uh, he did get a pay per view payoff that's of. Right. Uh, Several hundred thousand dollars for sure. Yeah. So it, they went the distance. They went three rounds. Uh, Punk looked okay. Looked he got a takedown in in the first round. Uh, after the first round, though, he was clear, clearly blown up and exhausted. And 
I don't, I'm not an MMA expert or anything, and I've I've seen some commentary from people who know MMA and, and you know like know the fundamentals and the and the what the form should look like for stand up or for whatever he was doing. And I know there's some criticism of him throwing uh, punches from the bottom when he when he was in the on the bottom with uh, Mike Jackson in his guard. Well, you could hear his side, his corner screaming at him while he was doing it. Yeah. Uh, what to to not throw punches from the bottom. Yeah, basically, that's what they're screaming at him. Stop throwing punches from your back. Yeah. So he, he looks pretty bad in, the, in this uh, second and third round. There's, I know there's some people who think this fight should have been stopped, but it went the distance. Uh, he lost by unanimous decision, I believe, 30-26. So that means uh, he got destroyed in at least one round, according to the judges. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Just watching it, it's just, uh, it's it's so weird. And like, I don't know kind of sad to see like I, I i wonder like how he feels about it like he's doing this thing that he always really wanted to do i guess he wanted to have like a you know mma fights which sure why not but to do it on such a such a stage you know and in on on such a level where he's clearly you know not skilled enough to be there it's just it's just weird and sad i guess to watch somebody what's, who's, what's who's funny to was, me is was, that you have dana white and Dana White is just like, Punk is all heart. Punk, you know, he gave it his best. I don't think Punk should be fighting in the UFC or he might be done. Like he, he gave it like a, a press conference statement. And then he goes on to bury Mike Jackson, his opponent. And just being like, that guy, I can't believe he did it that way. And 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 it's just so strange in a sense to be because like. Because he didn't finish him because he didn't try to knock him out. There's a speculation that he didn't really, he was just toying yeah, like with him. he was him. messing with him. He didn't really want Showboating. to finish him. Yeah. And and it's just kind of funny when you think about it because it's like you have the head of an organization and then you have two fighters and you have the one fighter who's basically getting in because it's his friend or it's it's the guy with the biggest heart and it's the guy that he, he thinks he can sell but also is not qualified. Right. Well, Punk is and then you have the other guy who is the guy that is, is buggy, is like it has an acrimonious relationship with the promoter and the promoter is also trying to be like, you're never going to fight for me again. And yet he's the guy winning mm-hmm. and it's, it, I don't know. To me, it's just that weird politics of it, of being like, you know, you're not looking for who is the better athlete here. You're not looking for even who is the more promotable person. You're letting your emotions very much taint your, your decisions in promoting here. Yeah. And it's causing you to be so contradictory to so many things that you have said and done. And the reality is, all promoters have to be contradictors, right? You have to make friends with your enemies. You have to look for what is going to make you money. You have to drive forward things. You can't be so singularly driven with a vision that you refuse to adapt in any way. You have to, you, you can't be just, um, I don't want to say conscious driven, but you know, you can't only make the decisions that are going to be algorithmically accurate. You have to fight from your gut sometimes. And yet, it's it. I do think it it doesn't reflect well on either UFC or Dana White in the whole situation to have this fight at all. To have the whole debacle, yeah. Because yeah. bringing CM Punk in, you know, it was great for them to make some money. Is it worth but the I extra pay per view buys or the extra ticket sales they were able to accumulate because of this? I don't know. Exactly. Like it, it's one thing to say, "Hey, we're doing it, and we're going to get new fans, and we're going to bring people into the sport." And it's one thing to do it and say, I don't feel like that was, that really happened, especially no, considering how much time it took between the time that CM Punk left WWE and the time it took, took him to fight. 
to actually have his yeah. first fight, which is totally understandable as far as the training and everything. I mean, he's clearly not qualified to be there in the first place, even three years later. But, you know, I don't know. And, and it's one thing to do freak show fights and make a promotion around freak show fights, right? Yeah, yeah which you is know, usually not what, what UFC has been about since uh since Yeah, you can sell days. that. You can make a promotion about that. But again, it's not the way UFC yeah. ran itself. That, that's called Bellator. And when you... It's called Pride. It's called yeah. uh, New Japan in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's another thing when you're when you're like, I don't want to say getting rid of integrity because I don't think there's integrity at stake here. But I think that there is credibility with your fan base. Yeah. And I wonder and, if part of the calculus here for Dana White or for UFC is like sort of the worst case scenario is that we just make this WWE guy look like he doesn't belong here. And that that elevates the image of ufc above wwe is, is i guess there's a benefit to that it just it looked i don't know and among like the culture of you know, where, where wrestling fans and mma fans argue this is like yeah let's find out and just yeah he's 39 years old and he doesn't belong in there i mean i think kimbo is a great analogous person because you could say kimbo also would have terrible fights mm-hmm but yet Kimbo could keep drawing and Kimbo did seem to make people interested in what he was doing. And, and Kimbo at least did knock out other human beings and like, yeah. And I think that's the key is, is that ultimately you're running a gamble when you're trying to promote someone and you're hoping that they ever write, you know, it's, it's similar to when we talk about like signing people to NXT or something, which is everybody's a gamble or bringing them up to the main roster. Everyone's a gamble. Sometimes they're going to roll the dice and they're going to step up to the occasion. They become a big star. And sometimes they're going to kind of fizzle and maybe they fizzled because of you. Maybe they fizzled because of themselves. Maybe it just was the wrong time in the wrong place, mm -hmm. you know, but ultimately you can't be sure what's going to happen. But yet I think all in all the CM Punk experiment, I don't, I don't see it having great positive ramifications short of, yeah, everyone can tell the story. CM Punk lived his dream, yada, yada. But I don't know. Professional wrestler becomes mediocre MMA fighter. Not even mediocre. I mean, like, on, on this level, on the elite UFC levels, like, this this is the, the least skilled fighter that's, I don't know, like, ever fought in UFC, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm no UFC yeah. expert. Somebody else can correct me if they have, well, have, I'm have sure other UFC candidates. Won, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the modern era, you know, the last, I don't know, yeah. 10, 15 years. And and again, I, I think he probably got them a lot of pay-per-view buys. He's worth money. Sure. I, I don't think for a second he's not worth money. He's not worth – he's, he's worth it's like – just a sh the, 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 there's, there's diminishing returns here for him as an MMA fighter though. As a pro wrestler and in, in a, a well-promoted pro wrestling event, sure. But in, in, in a UFC fight, certainly at this point now that everybody knows what the deal is and as far as where he stands in his skill level, there's not much and, more and, money to be made for him as an MMA fighter as far as a draw. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there is more money to be I'm, made for him. I'm sure. It's just a I'm question sure, of like, whether you could, or not. You could go go fight in Bellator, and he'll he'll draw, still draw a big audience. But I don't see him being like a a bigger draw as an MMA fighter than he would be as a pro wrestler. I guess I guess is what I'm saying. And and the other challenge being that you're getting, you're kind of getting two different things, right? CM Punk the wrestler is a character, and I think a lot of people assume that that's a person, and that that's where they made a mistake, right? he's a character. He, he acts a certain way and he creates an, a, 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 an enigma about himself. And then he performs in the ring in a certain way. CM Punk, the MMA fighter was always a person. 
And that was a little bit of the problem is that you didn't get the character. You didn't get promos. You didn't really get the promos and you just got the, it's his dream. Look at his heart, et cetera. And I get part of that was maybe a fear of failure. And, you know, he talked a lot about he has a lot of anxiety and that, you know, the reason he doesn't want to go to all in, he said, was because, you know, he doesn't like to be in front of big crowds unless he's there for like a Blackhawks championship game or something. Yeah. But, you know, it, it didn't strike me as a guy who's saying, here, I am coming to perform for you. This was here. I am coming to give it my best like I'm running a 5K. Yeah. The, one, and one it's the, like one of the big takeaways I got from this is that it seems like and just from listening to the interviews and listening to the interviews that he gave after the, the trial ended was it, it, it feels like he maybe he's changed a lot as a person since he's left WWE. I mean, his his lifestyle is probably way different in terms. Of he's not on the road all the time. He's going to train in mixed martial arts all the time instead up in Milwaukee, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, and, and he spent, you know, what is it? 15 years of his life just doing wrestling, thinking about wrestling, trying to be a better wrestler, yeah. trying to live what a wrestling you know, be a wrestling persona. Yeah, and and, and, and him him above. He left and had to become a person. Yeah, and and him above almost anybody in pro wrestling was like the guy who who got to a certain level and, and had a chip on his shoulder about, you know, about what he thought he could do, and uh, I don't know. The, he became like a folk hero, I I think, in pro wrestling, and uh, it re- just revisiting all this stuff, revisiting the podcast, and, and revisiting his career over the last couple of weeks. I don't just sort of reminded to me like what a folk hero I think he was for wrestling fans. And I don't think he was ever as we ever saw how, how big of a star he really could become in pro wrestling. But, um, and, and I guess that's the thing is I think so many people conflated the character of CM Punk with the person, Phil Brooks, and they assumed they knew who Phil Brooks was. And they kind of assumed, I think UFC was getting that character CM Punk. And instead they got MMA fighter, Phil Brooks. Yeah. Who, who didn't want to, you know, stir the pot. He didn't or... want to fail big. He was afraid of failing big. And so he, he refused to kind of say, I'm going to go out here and make you guys a lot of money. Instead, he said, I'm doing this for myself. Yeah. He, Which there's nothing he, wrong with that. But, you know, I don't feel like that's what Dana White was hoping he was going to get. Yeah. And he was very earnest in interviews, but never like never cutting a promo back. And I think there's even points in the Ariel Hawani interview where he talks about things that Mike Jackson said. But, you know, CM Punk doesn't want to uh, say stuff back. There's a yeah. a Q and A he did, uh, where they uh they do like the the open uh training or whatever, and he doesn't didn't train. He decided to do to do a Q Q and A uh, instead, and I don't know. It was just weird. Um, I don't know. It wasn't CM Punk like the the pro wrestler. It was like he was trying to answer questions from like random fans, and like half the fans asked for autographs. Somebody shouted, "Are you all in?" And he said, "No, I'm not all in." So. Yeah, and I think that's his challenge too. Is that and that's you another know, thing we should you, get to here is the the talk about whether you are you ever going to wrestle again. Yeah, and and he he made a couple contradictory statements, but I think to him, I'm sure he wasn't trying to be contradictory. Yeah. Um. But but he basically the first time he just kind of tried to shrug it off in a way where he was kind of like, well, no one's ever given me a here's how much I'll pay you and here's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of like, hey, would you like to do something with me? Hey, if you ever want to do line. anything, let us know. He said, nobody's ever been like, here's the deal. The, on this day, for this money, uh, we want you to wrestle. Will you do it? He said, there's never been anything like that. Um, yeah, and I'm sure if they had given him the Jericho-type angle, 
Now, they H- Helwani followed up and said, "Are you open to? Are you open to, if you were given a real offer? Would you be open to the idea of wrestling again?" And he gave a long answer that began with, "I don't think so." Yeah, and I think that's what you were seeing a lot of here is that it's tough when you're in one world and you're good at that world, and then you go to do something else and you're not great at it. And in some ways, maybe that's where your heart or your passion is more now. And you you have a hard time with people seeing you the other way, right? You see this with um, wrestlers who want to do stand-up comedy. And it's like they can be really good wrestlers. They can be really, you know, really um, Dolph Ziggler or even Colt Cabana or people or The Miz. You know, that that they, they can be really good at what they do. And yet when they go to this other venue, they're okay. They're not terrific. Or Jericho, same thing. He did stuff with the Groundlings. Are you, you know, are you criticizing Dolph Ziggler's stand-up comedy skills? No, I'm just saying that it's tough sometimes to not be thought of the wrestling stand-up comedian, when in fact you just sometimes want to be thought of as the stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I actually don't do any wrestling stuff when I do improv. But no one knows I, you I as, try... the as the wrestler, though, do they? Do they think of me as the wrestling guy? Yeah. Not usually because those two worlds don't cross as much, but I stay away from wrestling when I do improv stuff. But certainly the audience doesn't know you as a wrestler. No, 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 no. Usually not. I I just meant like it's tough sometimes when that becomes part of your brand is what I guess I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. is that for me, it's like at work, I'm the work guy and in on the podcast, I'm the wrestling guy At, at improv. I'm the improv guy. And, you know, those worlds are very different and it's, it's sometimes tough when you feel boxed in. And, you know, I can see people's passion going away over time. And so it's tough to have someone just constantly be like, hey, why don't you go back to that thing that we used to enjoy that you did? Yeah. And I'm sure movie actors feel the same way. Movie directors feel the same way. You know, uh, even stand-ups and things where they're like, why don't you do the act like you used to do it? Yeah. You know, when you like Jerry Seinfeld talked a lot about, you know, trying to throw away all his mold material yeah, and, and start it, afresh. And he's, he's, him nuts. he's free to do whatever he wants to do whenever it makes him happy. I think a lot of fans feel like, especially at this time of – indie wrestling becoming even more effective and social media being being able to do what it's done for indie wrestling and for non WB brands of wrestling uh, and all in about to happen on September 1st in Chicago. I think it just naturally makes a lot of people wonder like, wow, he could, he could, and especially if he's like, if he's mad at WWE or he wants to show WWE that, you know, maybe they're not as powerful as they think they are. Uh, he could really be a, a key player in uh Helping out some non WWE brands, you know, get get more of a market share, more of a foothold in pro wrestling, and make a, a stronger, better shape. alternative to WWE. He's in shape. He's active, yeah. and so it, it's one of those things where it's like it's one thing if if you're saying, "Hey, let's get Big Van Vader back in the ring." You know, he's an old man with a bad heart. That's not a great idea. Versus, let's get CM Punk, a guy who just fought on UFC back in the ring it actually you can say yeah he's in shape he's ready to go he wants to be athletic and be active mm-hmm. he's smart and wrestling is built in such a way that you can protect yourself that you don't have to say a guy's over 40 years old he's worthless to us now yeah. and time and time and time again that's been the mistake that promoters have made is they said so and so isn't worth anything to me anymore because they're too old mm-hmm. And, and with um, CM Punk, as far as the story goes, like he, if he were to come back to uh, to pro wrestling and and not work for WWE, but I don't know, work for Ring of Honor, or New Japan, or or All In, or whatever, he's got even more of the story of the of this 
anti-establishment folk here of being, well, now, not only were you mistreated in the WWE, but they tried to sue you. Whether or not this is 100% accurate and, and the truth, there's still this perception that, well, WWE tried to, you know, funded this doctor to try to drain you of money. All this happened, you know, and uh, they didn't treat you well. You wanted a main event WrestleMania, but they're... Their workplace is so messed up that it made you miserable and it made you quit. And now we're going to build this alternative. We're going to build this other brand of, of pro wrestling that's not like all the things that you don't dislike about WWE, but he could be a real key figure in that. And, uh, you know, yeah, and I don't know, maybe he just wants to do something else with his life. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, look at Jericho. Jericho doesn't go work for everybody. He's, he's picking and choosing his shots. Rey Mysterio is kind of that next level, right? Mm. Picks and chooses his shots, but he pay he, for a lot of money. He'll come and work for you, mm. and he's worked around the world. Mm. Then you have like the like Alberto Del Rio or something, or the Cody Rhodes, where like you know they they're signing kind of more exclusive contracts, but they're still working a fair amount. And then you have like the true indie guys, and and so I I see Punk as someone who. I think he does know that he has to, if he's not going to work for, once you've done WrestleMania and you're at a point in your career where you probably still could be in WrestleMania and be very high on the card in WrestleMania. Absolutely. It, it's tough to imagine, you know, doing a ring of honor. I think it is, I think I would see him more doing kind of a Jericho schedule personally. Sure. Of just, just, he, he seems like someone who's tired of a lot of that travel. But again, yeah. he's somebody UFC who, he is also him. at this point where they, you know, they they don't have a lot of big stars left. Their guys can't make weight for their fights. The, you know, they have top guys like John Jones or now Nick Diaz who are in the, or Conor McGregor who are in these very nebulous, nefarious situations that, you know, don't make it clear whether they're going to get resolved. And if they do, they, these are going to come back as tainted people. Um, I, I always think of like Ronda Rousey as kind of the interesting analogous person to like punk here where it's like, Rhonda going on doing house shows and now just being on a random pay-per-view, does that lower her specialness? She's been on Raw consistently, too. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, and I just wonder if that's the same thing with Punk, where it's like if you go and make him a Ring of Honor guy, he's it lowers the specialness because it, it's exciting and then it's something else. And I, so, I don't know. It just depends I, on how, how he's used and how... Uh, how much buzz the stuff that he does gets, how good the matches are, how good the promos are, how good the performances are, uh, the, the opponents and, and that, that he ends up working with. And and the challenge will be also just understanding what motivates him. Is it working with other people or is it himself being put to a higher level? Because I do feel like some of this comes from the idea that you can say, hey, if I go to this Fed, I get to work with all these people. And that's always what you hear from Daniel Bryan, right? Mm -hmm. is he's always like, I want to go here because I would get to wrestle these people. And that would be really fun for me. And it, it just, it feels like it's a very, um, I'm thinking about everyone else mentality versus I'm thinking about myself mentality. And to be a star, you have to think about yourself. There's no doubt about that, but it, it just doesn't seem like that prospect of, Hey, you could go work with Naito means anything to punk. Yeah. I don't think he's watching a uh, new Japan. No, and, and, you know, he's even talked about that. Like, you know, for a while there, the story was that he would just watch when AJ Lee turned on. He would literally turn the TV on, turn the TV off when she was or wasn't on the screen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think he made it clear that he hasn't really watched anything in years since he just watches hockey and other things. And, you know, it's in some ways it's a shame because I do think you you run into people that have that inexplicable it factor in what they do. 
and it might not translate to everything else, but it translates to what they do at that time. And he still has it and he, he commands it. And it's, it's in some ways, it's a little sad that, you know, it, it will be reduced what is able to be produced in this world. On the flip side, I think what came out really clearly in this, this podcast, in this lawsuit is he was in terrible shape mentally and physically. And, you know, for a guy dealing with as many concussions as he probably had, fighting in UFC seems like a terrible idea. And going and getting a, a facial CT scan doesn't make me feel much better about, you know, his his prospects of what what's happening with his brain. Yeah. I know. I guess as somebody who wants to see the pro wrestling industry be challenged and, and, and change for the better. I mean, here you got these two guys, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's contract supposedly expires in September. Like these are two guys who could, if they wanted to, could really go and do something that makes the pro wrestling industry better and challenges WWE to improve in some way, whether it's just their talent relations, the way they treat their workers or whatever it is. Or then, and if nothing else, I'm sure they could go on and create great pro wrestling products, shows, matches, promos. And, and, and they're, they're still young enough to be viable. Yeah. Like still part of it time to me is, they're not going to have time forever, man. Yeah. And part of it me is like, okay, what if you're a new fed and you paid so many millions of dollars that you could get Steve Austin to come work for you? Cool. So what? You could go get Shawn Michaels to work for you. Cool. So what? It's like getting Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. Those are the type of talents that will make a big difference today and are still able to be stars mm -hmm. and not be just remembered as the stars that they were. Mm -hmm. And I, I recognize, you know, there's that element of that Hogan and, and uh, Savage and all that, too, where you could say WWF thought, oh, these guys are too old to do anything with anymore. We got to go on to the new guys. But, you know, they, they're still in a, a place for every guy, you know, regardless of their age. But I, I just feel like right now you're right that Punk and Brian are these guys that you could argue are top tier grade A stars. And in they're, some they're ways, they're kind of on the free market. They're great performers and the audience is primed in a way that they because they perceive those two as guys who never got their due. Like we never really got to see what they could really do on a high level. And that I think that primes another well-run company to give them that opportunity to let's let's see how great they can be and how great the programs they can have with other wrestlers are and how 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 big how how much how how many people can they draw on the Tokyo Dome or uh, at the Sears Center or whatever. So Absolutely. you know, I want to talk about Corey Graves' uh, subtweets. Yeah, so he he sounded like he had a lot of um you know kind of uh pent up displeasure with with cm punk or disappointment in cm punk and and was tweeting out a lot of it after the fight last night yeah want me to read it yeah yeah if you have a if you have kind of a timeline or something you want to go maybe abandoning everybody who stood by your side even when we weren't supposed to only to ha have you turn your back on us wasn't the right move after all no anger only sadness very passive aggressive uh and I think he had uh, some, some people uh, yell at him in the, in the replies. And he said, oh, it seems the fans are disappointed. Maybe you guys should know that that dude held my first son before I did because I was on tour and I trusted him. I had dinner with him the week after he quit. Uh, the first rule of punk rock is loyalty. And this guy betrayed it all. I still love you, quote unquote, friend. I'm, and I'm sorry that you got lost. And then he said, don't worry. Hey, at Vince McMahon, this has nothing to do with you. You either at Triple H. This isn't corporate. This is real life. Calm down, inner nerds. 
fun, fun so stuff. what is what is your take on this i'll, I'll <laughs> I share know. i i have feelings but and and uh i'll just start off by saying i'm very sympathetic to Corey graves really? but what, what are your feelings i don't know why what, what what good does he uh, ex- expect to come of that well, I don't know if it's good. I don't know. I, I mean, clearly this, he had a personal a relationship. Yeah, clearly he had person. a personal relationship with, with CM Punk. I don't know what, what the, the details of it were. He gave some quotes to Fightful here um, where he said that uh, I, re- I respected his drive and him doing his own thing. He sent me a text shortly after his first fight. Part of me just thought he was in the zone. I, I guess the, the text he's referring to is where he said that he, you know, he didn't want anything to do with anybody who's working for WWE anymore. Um, let's see. Uh, what really set me off was the, this week when he essentially disowned the business that made him, Graves said. My only issue with him was that he turned off people that actually loved and supported him beyond the business, and he never wanted anything to do with us, yet continued to present himself as this punk hero. I, I, I feel for Corey Graves. I really do. For, for uh, what is it, Sterling James Keenan was his old name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I met him a few times on the Indies. And, um, you know, he, uh, to me, it seems like I, I remember I used to work for a consulting firm and I spent a lot of time with these people every day. I'd see them when I would travel, you would travel with them, dine with them at night. You'd go to the hotel, you'd have dinner with them then you'd sit out at the bar and you'd work and you'd talk and you'd spend every day with them, you know? So I would see these people more than I'd see my wife oftentimes in a week. Um, and when I left that firm, I was kind of flabbergasted at how quickly I wouldn't say they turned on me, but how much of a, of a non-person I became. Mm. Cause I knew their families. I knew their kids. I knew their wives. I, I, you know, I knew these people. And then suddenly I realized these aren't friends. These are just work associates of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was really disappointed at the time of being like, wow, I really thought, you know, I had developed a personal relationship with these people. And I realize now that, no, I was someone that you tolerated <laughs> and worked with because we were in this, this proximal proximity all the time. And I was disappointed because I had taken a, a personal relationship here and they, they clearly had not, or they, they were not willing to continue it because they felt I had betrayed them by leaving mm-hmm. or that they just weren't interested in investing any more time in me because I was no value to them. You betrayed the and, consulting firm. And and so I was just, I was upset at the time and it took me a while to kind of work through that and just say, you know what, that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how you feel sometimes. And, you know, people just move apart. And same thing that happens with the people you went to college with that you were very close with or in high school with that you were very close with. And then years later, you're like, I don't have anything in common with these people. Yeah. I don't care about them. Yeah. And I've, sometimes I've they like, feel offended and sometimes you do. Yeah. I've, I've heard it said like if you leave wrestling, if you if you quit wrestling, you still have one friend from wrestling. You've you've, you've done something. Um, Corey Graves also said, "Dude, this has zero to do with court or testimony or any of the above. Nothing that I tweeted was corporate. I'm simply hurt slash pissed off that a guy that I looked that I looked like as a big brother type has turned his back on me and everyone that loved and supported him only because of the name on my paycheck." I guess that's WB. I'm definitely not the only one. I won't name names, but there's a large group of us to this day that inexplicably lost a solid friend because of where we work. And I think that's the challenge is that, you know, it sounds like, like we were talking about earlier, that punk conspiratorially and possibly with good reason believed WWE was out to get him 
and was out to punish him. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they wanted to make this defamation suit as difficult as they could is that they the WWE might have felt that they got snookered on their release deal with Punk. Or they were just bitter that he was able to get his release. Yeah. I, I would, considering all that, I would think it would be within the character of CM Punk to like, all right, if you feel that way, go, go, uh, you know, try to create a competition, try to, you know, lift up another pro wrestling company. But maybe he's just so dumb with pro wrestling. He doesn't want to do it. Well, I think he felt it might have take ate him up and spit him out. And, you know, for every fan that's fanatical about Punk, there's three times as many people who also call him a bitter loser who... You know, they bought his house and he, he doesn't have the time of day for. I, I think I think it's it's the reverse. Like, I think there's like three CM Punk fans for every one person who wants to tweet nasty things at him. Hard to say, you know, it, it again, perception versus reality. Right. How many times will you get a survey or response and you'll have 80 people say, what a great job. And then one person will say, what a stupid article. What a stupid take. And you'll obsess or, or or think about that one negative response, hmm. you know. So some people are, are just going to overemphasize that. And for Corey Graves, there was a, also a little exchange. I don't know if other people caught it, but I was looking at his uh, re- replies earlier today. And somebody said something about, well, Corey, didn't you sell out your soul to Saudi oil money? And um, Corey replied something along the lines of, well, I never got that paycheck. I'm on salary. So it's, you know, I'm just doing my corporate responsibility. How, how does that explain it away? Oh, it, it doesn't. It was just interesting that he was basically making the point that, like, he didn't get paid more to go to Saudi Arabia. He just got paid his salary as an announcer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people were being like, well, you could never do what Punk did. And, and he was saying a lot of things like, well, I don't remember Punk having to retire due to concussion issues. Yeah. I think as far and, as and so I th- I think there's some I wouldn't say resentment but I think there's that personal personal trauma of you know when you have something that you care a lot about being taken away from you you see somebody else who is in a similar position who doesn't seem to be taking advantage of their opportunity. Mm-hmm. I th- he made a weird comment about Kenny Omega too in here like he was shooting back at uh, some uh, some fan and said oh you're probably a Kenny Omega fan who thinks this this and that and. Kenny Omega responded with some GIF. I can't believe we're talking to WrestleNomics about uh, GIF replies on Twitter. But uh, I, I think... He did apologize to Kenny then. He, he did. What does he say here? Oh, sorry, Kenny Omega, for dropping your name in a negative manner. You're rad. Congrats on your new hardware. Yeah. Uh, I, I think as much as everybody wants to say, oh, the internet doesn't matter, and whatever, what, what these people think on the internet doesn't matter, uh, I think doing this uh, to an extent matters, and I think Corey Graves is somebody who has a lot of credibility with with fans who care about WWE and care about pro wrestling, and doing something like this undermines that goodwill that he has built up from his really good performances on commentary. Uh, I think just doing this just it 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 kicks people who who thought they liked you. See, I I see the opposite. I see it as this is a guy being real who's saying. I had a guy that I used to think of as my friend. He won't give me the time of day now. I tried to support him and he accused me of being a corporate shill. And you know what? I thought I was, I thought we could both agree that you can work for WWE and still have integrity. And you don't seem to believe that. That, That's what I read into it is that essentially it's kind of this belief that working for WWE means you cannot have integrity. Hmm. And you know, that that's an offensive thing for any person to have to try to swallow as their belief, because mm-hmm. every one of those wrestlers has to justify to themselves 
why is it okay to work here and do what I do? And that's hard to do, right? Because, you know, there's always that, that concern about are you on the right side of what you're doing? And you can feel that way about any corporation you work for, really. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, whether you're working for, for public or private stuff, you know, you can feel pretty rough about how things play out. That is very true. So I, I just think that that to me, so I don't find it as much of a contradiction because to me, I just see it as he feels like his integrity of being working for WWE. People are suggesting that undermines his ability to have emotions or to feel betrayed by someone who he used to think of as a friend. And again, I'm going to project onto the scenario what I want to project because I don't know these guys well enough to actually know the whole history. And yes, they're airing it in public in a way that I think is less than perfect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how many people do, you know, vague tweeting or vague Facebooking or vague other things in this world? And, you know, uh, Corey Graves certainly knows what he's doing. T- tell me about the, the one time, time where like uh, cryptic social media posts really helped the situation. I'm still, I'm still searching um, for that situation. Well, I think some things get, get settled in dark DMs. Sure. But that is that like cryptic tweeting, though? I don't know. Well, I'm you know, I, this I, point. I, I, I can only speak positively for the ability of the Internet to connect people who have information with people that want information or that people want, that want to understand each other better. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be as positive or negative of a force as we want it to be. Yes. I couldn't do this podcast if it wasn't for people who have in the past reached out to me and said, Hey, I have some information with you. I want to share privately. And I see that you care about this subject. Oh, definitely. So, but yeah, it's, it was interesting. Um, I think UFC faces a crisis here in, you know, continuing to try to find people that are going to work for them. And there's those questions of what will the next version of this be? Didn't Jack Swagger just sign an MMA contract? Um, maybe with Bellator, we can look that up while we talk. Um, CM Punk still has fights left on his UFC contract. He confirmed in the, in the Q and A that he gave in public. I don't think he'll be fighting for UFC again after this. I just can't fathom it. Did yeah, they just cut him I here? Can't either. Maybe they'll revive WEC and turn it into World Entertainment CM Punk. Yeah, MMA Entertaining Shoot Fight Championship, something like that. But yeah, yeah, it's I think it's also just a disappointment because wrestler wrestling fans, I think, feel like there's only a few. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. There's Jack only Swire a signed a multi-year deal with Bellator to fight, yeah. fight this year. I think wrestling fans might just feel disappointed because they're like, there's only a few people that quote unquote represent pro wrestling. And, you know, it makes them feel like, OK, they're they're a joke when a, a person like this ends up being the representation to it. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, hey, I bet you Brock Lesnar will be back in UFC in the next two years here. Sure. And so, you know, and and Brock Brock Lesnar is is kind of the polar opposite of CM Punk in so many different ways, right? Yeah, I mean, Brock, Brock Lesnar is an elite MMA fighter, you know, Clomiphene or not. That he well, just and just so many things that like he has had a incredibly long wrestling history. That he's yeah. he's been treated very well in his wrestling history. He's been treated really terribly in his wrestling history. And, you know, has found a way to merge the character and the person of Brock Lesnar in a way that is compelling to people and feels real to people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, it's it's uh, I had made a bet with um, Brian Alvarez at one point that CM Punk would return to a WWE ring within 10 years. Mm-hmm. And 
I felt pretty good about this bet for a while. Mm-hmm. And how did this, this week, week affect, affect it, that that notion? This week is the first time that I've come very close to just sending Brian Alvarez the hundred dollars to Whale Scout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you got what seven or six years to go here. What was it? You got you got seven or six years to left on the uh, on the, on the yeah, deal. Yeah, I still here. have a while on it, but um, uh, it's it's just one of those things where part of me is like, no, he's never coming back. And in the past, I always thought, yeah, he might, um, because a the the lawsuit could have driven him to it, or you think the, him losing uh, the lawsuit and having to pay Amon millions of dollars would make it more likely that he goes back to WWE, or even settling the lawsuit in such a way where WWE does it in a way that makes him feel welcome, you know? Or you don't, you don't think that like him having to give Eamon some money. Oh would, yeah. Would yeah. Make no, I think that was more possibility, even more bitter and even more like these people took, you know, money from you, maybe thousands or millions of dollars from me. I'm even more bitter and even more estranged from them. I don't know. Bret Hart, pretty darn angry. And Absolutely. he took their money to, to but, go to the hall of fame and then flew home before WrestleMania. Yeah, to just spite them because he said, "I'm not going to do that." And well, the point and I'm like, making is like Bret Hart didn't have a, a settlement or a judgment against him to pay WWE lots of money. Oh, there was lawsuits. There was lawsuits at times. The lawsuits were there. Think about his brother dying. Yeah, there's lots of lawsuits over that. Yeah, but but that's that's the family. I mean, how dysfunctional and tangled that. Family yeah, but is. I but there was lawsuit and there was legal action about him leaving for WWE uh, for WCW. Was there? Okay. There were, yeah, yeah, not 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 court cases, but there was legal back and forth. Maybe someday we'll and, do and, a special WrestleNomics edition on the Montreal Screwjob because there's just not enough audio on that incident. <laughs> but I just mean from the sense of like he ended up a very unhappy person, and yet he came back, got their money, and still held his own integrity, and then came back and did his own things, like you know, did more in the future. But I could see Punk even doing that, be like, "I'll go into your Hall of Fame, sure. Mm-hmm. I'll take your money. I'll leave." You know, and to me, that would still been a win because I was basically saying he wouldn't he would appear on WWE. I didn't say he would wrestle for WWE. But um, but no, I don't know now. Now, the way, you know, he he strikes me as a guy that is stubborn enough and strong willed enough to say I will never go back to WWE and mean it to the day he dies. Yeah. And I guess like as time goes on here, if there's a day where Vince McMahon isn't the main decision maker in this company and Triple H gets even more power, I think there's even more heat, right, obviously, between Punk and Triple H than there is between Punk and Vince. So if Punk, if what I'm saying is if Vince is out of the equation, it makes it even more unlikely maybe that he, he goes back to, to visit WWE. I think it makes it more unlikely that Triple H, that CM Punk knew, brings him back. I think two things happen. One, yeah, the Bruno San Martino thing, Triple H was able to negotiate that. And a lot of that was not Vincent Bruno, but rather Triple H and Bruno. Right. Well, how do we know there's not going to be a next generation of Triple H? Right. Yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Like if, if, it the, could be. Yeah. You know, Corey Graves could be Triple H's right hand man in 10 years. Yes. For and, yeah. you know, that would be a guy where CM Punk would say, you know what? I actually have some credibility with this guy. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And as a 50-year-old man, maybe he's going to feel a lot different about this whole situation. Regal, maybe? Regal. Um, you know, I, and it's it's like for me to go through and speculate who CM Punk's friends or not friends are, I don't know. You know, guys, every now and then you'll hear like so-and-so was friends with everybody backstage. And you'll think that was weird, but, you know, it's true. Mm-hmm. John Cena, maybe? Uh, Future corporate, W corporate executive John Cena? Could be. 
but it's just so it's just that sort of thing of saying we don't know that plus i do think um power changes people and it can change people for the worse but it can also change people for the better i think triple h is a completely different person than he was 10 years ago because of his responsibilities now and what he has to balance in trying to make decisions mm-hmm and, you know, 10 more years into this journey, he could be a very different person. You know, Vince McMahon is very different in terms of his th- way he thinks about situations and what he gets involved with where 10 or 15 years ago he would have wanted to put his finger on the scale and really mess with stuff. And now sometimes he'll just let it happen. Speaking of putting your finger on the scale, we're going to talk about WUK contracts on the premium edition, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are. That's always interesting. Um. But yeah, it will be intriguing to see whether CM Punk comes back, whether Rey Mysterio comes back, uh, whether Chris Jericho comes back, right? You know, those are all guys that are kind of in that that free agent category that um, have, have flirted with a lot of different things right now. And where CM Punk is going to make his money now, you know, yeah, he can go write comic books or do other things. And maybe that will be enough to keep him happy. But uh, I just feel like. You know, there's guys like Dave Batista who have gotten out, right? They've done fighting, they've done, they've done wrestling, and now they're doing acting, and they seem to be thriving mm-hmm. after struggling for years and years. So, you know, there, there's something to be said about those people who are able to reinvent themselves and continue to bring themselves to something that is self-satisfying. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do think uh, when you get something like, you know, All In doesn't need a single other name on the card to make it relevant. If they're going to go run MSG or they're going to go run somewhere else, then maybe uh, the Cow Palace card <laughs> coming up in a, a couple weeks here. Um, you know, if you threw CM Punk on a U.S. version of a New Japan card, for sure, it would be worth a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the, the notion of him appearing at all in which he has said he will not be appearing at all in. Uh, it, it's already sold out. But I think if he does a big angle on all in and, and it's I, if the next step for all in or or if, if that's a continuing brand, um, if the next step is to run another big show or to run at MSG, having a big angle that involves CM Punk does a lot to build the buzz and build the momentum towards that next step. Yeah. And the last piece would just be some people want to be stars in the U S some people want to be stars in Japan. Some people want to be stars in the world. You know, yep. uh, I think there's L- that Loki wanted to main event, the Tokyo dome, not WrestleMania. Who did Loki? Oh, Loki. Yeah, sure. Yes. I just meant punk. Punk's never really struck me as a guy who's motivational speaker with, Loki with going to other countries and being the top guy. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike Daniel Bryan, who's like, I want to go to Mexico. I want to wrestle in Arena Mexico. I want to yeah. wrestle in the Tokyo Doom. I want to go to, you know, wrestle in Royal Albert Hall. I want to wrestle everywhere. Mm-hmm. Will Daniel Bryan resign with WWE in September? Well, there's also something to be said when you put a, a big money offer in front of a married guy with kids. Mm-hmm. Will, will he resign, though? Do you have a prediction? Um, I, I continue to say yes, yeah. because I think WWE sees it as a recruiting tactic that you can go to every other con- company in the world and say, look, the best wrestlers in the world are in my company. And Daniel Bryan's just one of them. And we're powerful enough and we're rich enough to be around for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we have a worldwide distribution network that no one else can come close to. And people care about us. We do endorsements. We do sponsorships. You want to be part of us. We put smiles on people's faces. I mean, come on. And, and the same thing with Daniel Bryan, they can just go to him and say, what is it you're passionate about? What can we do to make this work? 
And if he says, I'm passionate about the environment in Seattle, great. Let's give $100,000 to Daniel Bryan's environmental charity. You know, there, there's a lot that the fact he's married to a Bella twin and the fact that he's got a kid and the fact that he is, you know, he's in a company where Nakamura and AJ Styles and, and Samoa Joe and other people like that wrestle. And, and that I just think, I just think he's in a place now where it's hard for him to say that it's a terrible place for him to be. Yeah. They, they wrestle, but like how many memorable matches they have. I mean, like imagine being told this like a couple of years ago, Hey, AJ Styles and Nakamura are going to have matches. They're going to have a, a, a whole feud, a whole program in WWE, but like none of the matches are going to be that memorable. The turn itself at WrestleMania may have been memorable, but like the match itself wasn't like, Oh wow, this great match. So what I'm saying is, yeah, but, like, yeah, they're there for for Brian, but like, does Brian see like the prospect of like I'm going to be able to go in the ring and and you know have this creative freedom to have amazing matches with them? I don't, I don't see that. I, but I think I think sometimes it's about the formula. It's about the ingredients of the stew, and I think for him, he's got a good roux. He's got a good base, uh, and and it's just a matter of. We need to cook it differently. We need to be in a better kitchen, mm-hmm. or we need to be get more time to make the meals. Yeah, but we, I think we need, it, we need a, a different chef. Is really the answer. <laughs> but I think in the end, it's going to work. And and I, I I guess you know we we see it very myopically through us one certain lens. And for Daniel Bryan, his biggest qualm was he wanted to wrestle, and yeah. they wouldn't let him wrestle. Yeah. So now he's in a position where he can wrestle, and you know. If it becomes Daniel Bryan versus all of NXT, maybe that's a possibility. You know, I think a lot of it is you, you have to figure what is being dangled in front of him, not necessarily what is in the in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And and again, comfortable always beats unknown. Very few people quit for the unknown. Cody Rhodes is one of the very few people who looked at it and said, I can do better, went out and did it. You know, we, we did that list on one of the shows where we went through all the major stars and minor stars who have left WWE over the last five years. Yep. And by no means was Cody near the top of that list of guys that had potential to be the biggest. Yep. So, you know, it, it just it, you have to be very head headstrong and, and believe a lot in yourself. And I think in a lot of ways, WWE came to the table in a way that's going to keep him around. And I think his relationship with his wife is going to play a big role in that. Is that, you know, single Daniel Bryan and married fathers, Daniel Bryan, are very different people in my mind. Yeah. Again, I think it would make pro wrestling, uh, it would challenge WWE and pro wrestling in general to become a lot better if somebody like Daniel Bryan was outside of WWE. So that, uh, that gives if, me, if we, that gives me hope and wishful thinking. If we search the LLC thinking. filings and discover that a, uh, uh, a punk Danielson or Brooks Danielson uh, LLC gets founded, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll be the first Brooks. to tell about you, <laughs> tell, tell you about it. Maybe Brooks Danielson and what is it? Gutierrez. What is Ray's real last name? Something like that. Yeah. Oscar Gutierrez. Yeah. You know, so. like, you know, the three or four, uh, Irvine, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I don't know, Cody, uh, Runnels. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a five person uh, with Jackson yeah, in there, maybe. Throw, throw the Masseys in there. Oh, yeah, right. I was thinking their last name is Jackson. It's not Jackson. It's Massey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting. There's a there's opportunity there for sure. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's exciting, though. It just says how much the world can change in such a short period of time. That's right. Between, you, you, know you know what makes it change? Hot. You know what makes it change? 
uh, Russellnomics? New media. New media. <laughs> That's right. We look at the uh, we look at the present through a rear view mirror or something like that. Whatever Marshall McLuhan said. Ready to do well, premium? Ready to talk about Harold's big dream? I think I am. So this has been a uh, a free show of Russellnomics Radio. You can find us on Twitter at Russellnomics. You can email us at Russellnomics at gmail.com. You can fill out our survey we're doing about the Russellnomics Radio t- uh, radio show at uh, tinyurl.com slash wr2018 survey. Uh, thank you to everyone who has given us some feedback. We we are taking this feedback to heart. It is a uh, and as usual, the one negative piece of feedback is outweighing the twenty positives. So I, I, I'm still not aware of any negative feedback. I no, one about of them was the get minutes. better audio quality. So I'm hoping yeah. that this sounds. We're better trying. I'm, I'm trying. I'm I'm learning how to use this equipment a little bit better each week. So hopefully That's this. Is, I know last. I think last week's show on my end sounded a little muffled. So hopefully I'm sounding a little bit better this week. And I, I, you know, I, I probably could be in better health to sound less nasally, but there's nothing I can do right now about it, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm excited to announce absolutely nothing. I have I have nothing interesting to plug right now. What do you have to plug, Brandon? Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, you'll be able to listen to the WrestleNomics Premium episode this week, where we're going to talk about uh, the New Japan Dominion card, everything that happened there. Harold May's Big Dream about pro wrestling in New Japan, pro wrestling. I talk- got a lot to say about this one. Do you? Oh, good. Uh, we're going to talk about the four-year consideration uh, thing that WWE did with, with the Emmys and uh, some comments that Charlotte made and some other comments that Stephanie McMahon made. Then we're going to talk about uh, how the Cow Palace ticket sales are going, WWE UK contracts, who's getting them, and what they're uh, keeping people from doing. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe about Adam Cole uh, working in a Evolve show. And, uh, and, of course, the, uh, a possible name for the W Network tiered service. You betcha. Take it easy, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. It's time. It's time. It's WrestleNomics time. Yeah. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.